You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Own the Build with me, Paul Hemming. Today's episode is titled Strategic Construction Procurement. What the hell is it? Uh, And we are joined by an absolute superstar of a guest, I'm sure of that. Uh, We're joined by Precious Zambika Luanga, who is a quantity surveyor by qualification and experience and is also the founder at Karis Advisory Services. I'm delighted to welcome you to the show, Precious. How are you? Hey, Paul. I am very, very good, and I'm 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 really pleased um, to be on the on the on the podcast today. To be honest with you, it's an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. <laughs> it's, the pleasure is all mine. I can assure you. And for all of the listeners, I have come up trumps again because you know I love accents, and today's <laughs> accent, I had to get a I had to get a little bit of. Uh, home comforts almost you see so my mum is from uh from Bulawayo originally uh in in Zimbabwe and that is where your delightful accent is from is it not 100 percent, 100 percent, born and bred Bulawayan as they call it in Zimbabwe um so you're absolutely right you your mom and I kindred spirits Bulawayo girls absolute Bulawayo girls exactly exactly <laughs> no I mean it is it is incredibly uh unique to be speaking to someone else uh, from Bulaware. So I am honoured to be doing so. And aside from that, Precious, just to give the conversation some grounding, I know I've mentioned that you're a QS, but tell us about your experience and what you do. So um, I suppose you introduced me at the beginning as founder of Karis Advisory Services. I think that's the culmination of where I am today. Like you rightly said, born in Bulaware, um, Zimbabwe. Um, relocated to the United Kingdom, actually moved to the United Kingdom to start my career, which has spanned 20, just 21 years, 21 years of working in the construction industry. So like you mentioned, chartered surveyor, but quantity surveyor by profession, but chartered surveyor. Um, but ha- I've had a very, very varied um, experience in the 21 years. So like I said, culminated now to be a founder and very proud founder and owner of Carers Advisory Services, which is I like to call it construction and property advisory. And people always say, what is that? <laughs> what, what is but, it? Go on, tell know, us. It, well, well, for me, I think it's it's spanning my experience. So when I set up this business, it was really centered around, I think people need to set up businesses doing what they like. Um, so I set up this business doing what I like. I like to advise. I like to solve problems for my clients. So it was befitting to call it advisory services in you know, although a lot of people in construction are like, what does that actually mean? I advise, I help you solve your problems within the confines of my own uh, professional capability. So yes, chartered surveyor, but I've done strategic sourcing, which we'll talk about a little later. Procurement, alliancing, infrastructure projects, small, started off small with small builds, right up to big multi, multi-million or multi-million pound projects. Um, in infrastructure and in and in the building sector as well. So uh, that's me in a nutshell, yeah. And who have you worked for in those 21 years? Drop some names. 
Oh man, so started off my very first job, which I have to give Remember that we haven't got all day here, Precious. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I started off with MJ Gleason. That was my first job in 2000, the beginning of 2002. Um, it was on a sewage treatment works. Oh my God. Like it was an interesting experience, let's call it that way. And then I moved um, from contractors to um, con- uh, PQS. Um, so I was working for Cyril Suite. That's my first experience working as a consultant. Moved to EC Harris, which became Arcadis, and then worked with Lendlease Developer, and then culminated in my final role um, working working for an employer. I was working with Wood um, Wood Engineering Services. So yeah, that's 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 my employer journey. You have been a busy lady. Now, there's one little phrase that you mentioned in there, which I want to just take us back to because I am I am a QS. You said you were a P. You said you were a PQS. For all of the non-QSE people, what is a PQS? Okay, so people get caught up in the PQS QS. QS is the profession. Quantity. QSs are better than PQS. That's, 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 sure. No, 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 no. There's a contractors QS <laughs> and there's a PQS. So QS profession, PQS professional quantity surveyor, which is normally client side. So. Like you, um, when I first started, as I called, I was on the dark side, which was contractors QS, um, which from, from, for the most part, when I was working, it was mainly post-contract. So you're taking the job really when the client has already made all those decisions and then you're engaging the contractor. So I'd say the difference between what you'd call QS or contractors QS to a PQS, what I did in for the most part of my career was a PQS really takes it from inception. So if you think of the project life cycle from inception right through to completion, the PQS is really involved in that whole concept stage right through to the end of the job. So I think that's probably the difference that PQS looks at the full life cycle. And then in my opinion, a contractor's QS either picks it up when the concept is almost formulated. So you can pick it up stage three if you're DMB or I won't get into technicalities, but yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Does that answer your question? That really answers my question. It, it makes me think, you know, maybe your PQSs are, they're not so bad after all. <laughs> but I, well, Of course I, we aren't. <laughs> I'm only joking. So we, um, I always ask, and I've had quite a few QSs on, haven't I? You're maybe the first PQS that I've had on. What is a common misconception about PQSs? That we are, we don't really understand, you know, the construction side of it. That everything's a bit airy fairy, you know. We don't get our hands dirty. Contra- you definitely don't get your hands dirty. Oh, we absolutely do. We absolutely. The QSs do. don't even get their hands dirty. <laughs> I suppose to be fair, the fact that we are typically behind, I suppose, a desk and engaging with clients from the onset, that that's that's normally the misconception that um, PQSs are don't really get their hands dirty. I think, every, yeah, to an extent. Contractors QSs don't, but in the main, we, we understand the construction principles. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to provide that service, right? Yeah, no, I, th- I really think that you're actually spot on there about um, the misconception because I, I often, talking to contractors QSs, would they'd say, oh, you can say what you want to a PQS because they don't understand the technicalities of it. But I actually think that that's completely wrong. So I'm with you on that. And today's episode, we're going to talk about procurement construction sourcing and we're going to talk about the important word i think is the strategic element of construction procurement you wanted to talk about strategic sourcing 
Describe to me what that is. Well, I think there are many opinions. I suppose if, you, if, I, if you're speaking to a pure procurement expert, they probably have a different definition to myself. But for me, really, strategic sourcing is, a, is really around being intentional about the way you source your products rather than a scattergun, scattergun approach. You're actually looking at what products or services are you looking to source, why you want to source them, and actually understanding what benefit you're going to have in sourcing that, and then having an implementation plan of how you're going to source and how you're then going to manage this as suppliers. So it's quite intentional in the way that you're procuring um, rather than um, on a project by project basis. So typically on a project by project basis, you know what you're going to procure. But for me, strategic sourcing is actually aligning it, say, to the organizational objectives. So if I'm going to source, I'll use an example, um, numerous um, toilets or for example, I'll just use that as an example, right? or bathroom sets or whatever it is. If I've got like a hundred projects, strategically it would make sense for me to think what value could I get out of that by maybe going and speaking to a supplier and saying, I'm not buying one, I'm buying a hundred. How can we negotiate to get the most value or the discounts, etc.? So in a simplistic form, that's what I'll probably describe it as. Okay, so the concept of which I would simplify in my mind with house builders, right? House builders, are generally building very similar types of projects. They may have a few house types, but they're ordering generally multiple bathrooms, multiple toilets in your set. And they're saying, we're going to build 5,000 in this year. We're going to order 5,000. And they strategically source and drive the cost down with economies of scale. So that makes a lot of sense with big business. Is there more to it than that? Like when you're advising small businesses, is is a lot of the people listening will be SMEs and thinking you you kind of you kind of mentioned every project is different, but you kind of have to have a mentality of that production line. I guess some people listening will think it's easy if I'm a house builder. It's not so easy if I'm a small and medium sized main contractor or property developer. So, is that something that you advise on? Absolutely. I mean, I was speaking to a client about a week ago, and we were actually talking about this. And he was building small time, as a small developer, but in in real terms, spending quite a lot of money. And we had this very same conversation, and he was very, very much interested in actually having a further conversation around what value could I get. And I and I, and I put it into simple terms: if you know you're going to be building, say you've got a plot of land and you're a a, a small a small medium developer on listening to this podcast i'll probably ask you a question you know how much are you looking to spend within the next year or two years do you know when those projects are going to be hitting the ground if they're going to be hitting the ground in in succession then it's a case of how do we how do we break down those packages to understand the cost capital cost that you have as a developer so that when we have that information we're now informed to say actually Let's go and speak to, I'll say Howden's, for example. I'll just use Howden's because people use kitchens at Howden's to go and, you know, let's go. Now you're informed. Guess what? You know how much you're going to be spending on kitchens for the next year or two years. You know when those projects are going to be hitting the ground. So you're already informed before you even go to Howden's. You're not doing a scattergun approach. You are now informed. You've got your program. You've got your pipeline. Even if it's five, six projects, it's a pipeline. And you can translate that to say, well, you know, it's a pipeline of work. So you're armed with that information. You can then go and negotiate with the Howdens. And I use Howdens as an example. I'm not 
promoting them on any shape or form but you know go to Howden's and there are other kitchen providers exactly yeah (laughs) there are many others and the point is when you're sourcing strategically like I said at the beginning it's quite intentional you know exactly what you're purchasing at any given time so you know your category they normally use the term category management when you're talking strategic sourcing so kitchens could be a category you know, sanitary wares could be a category. How much are you spending in that category and how are you engaging with the supply chain, i.e. the suppliers of materials, to actually give them that confidence that you're going to be a, a returning customer with a big, you know, with a big shopping basket. Um, it allows you then to, to, to have that informed conversation to negotiate, you know. And it, it gives you that, p- people hear the term loosely, volume discounts. When you've got volume of sales, economies of scale, You've got a you've got a you've got a leg to stand on in terms of negotiating. So yeah, so it's in simple terms. And so your clients are, generally speaking, because you're a PQS, they are generally speaking you're you're working with the the developer, the end client, let's say, and you're going like you say from inception all the way to the end. Now, the majority of developers that I speak to that are listening will be thinking, not I'm going to do a one-off development, but I'm going to try and build my business to either get to one or two developments per year, or I'm already doing two developments per year. I want to go out to three, et cetera, et cetera. They will be thinking about the career or the lifespan of their business. And that's kind of what you're advocating here, right? Is to take a step back and say, this project isn't in isolation. What is your brand? What kind of kitchens are you going to want? Are you going for the Howlers or are you going for some nicer German version or what, you know, a more expensive, but in line with your brand? And then you're taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm doing three projects in the next year, which means it's 30 kitchens. It's not 10 kitchens, 10 kitchens, 10 kitchens. What can I achieve by approaching various suppliers in doing that? And that's the advice that you're giving to your clients. Take a step back. Think about it strategically. Absolutely. You know, it's 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 knowing your portfolio, right? So when you're thinking about a, a, a developer who's got, um, as you say, maybe about 10, 10 or ten or fifteen properties that they're going to be looking at, it's about understanding what your portfolio and the value of that package or packages in that portfolio, so you can have those informed conversations. So you, you absolutely nailed it, Paul. And, and and remind me what the phrase was or the word that you used to describe kitchens is in like a is in a cluster sanitary where is one um, like a core yeah. you said it's joiner so you could joinery you could call it joinery or you could call it kitchenware okay. so it just depends if you're going to be building it would fo- probably fall under the joiner joinery category do you know what mm-hmm. I mean and um, and so yeah. are you are you then looking at everything in bundles of of procurement i.e we're going to be ordering x number of bricks for this period of time same with kitchen same with joinery exactly etc so that you can really take a step back because that's that i know from my own experience is precisely what house builders do one house builder i'm thinking of particularly i'm not going to name them but i know for a fact that what they do is they secure incredibly good rates for material purchase across the board across the country and they then say to all of their subcontractors we want you to do supply and install it's going to cost you x pounds for that product and you can put your mark upon it and they are just saving the economies of scale obviously they're massive they're saving huge amounts but can an sme do that 
Absolutely. I think, obviously, the volume game will play, will take play here. So a, a national house builder will command a much higher discount because, you know, they are in that driving. They've got a bigger steering wheel, as you'd probably call it. But in terms of the small house builders, I don't think, I think if you're spending any money, you should be always looking at the best value that you can get. So a small house builder's pound is the same as a major house builder's pound. It's still a pound um, in my mind. So it's actually really being understanding. And when you were talking about actually trade packages, because we call them trade packages, don't we? So we break it down into the trade packages. And then in those trade packages, you then break it down into the categories. So when, when we're talking about strategic sourcing, you're, not, you're looking at the categories of spend that you're going to be doing within your development right and then you, yeah and then you know how much you're spending within that category so you can then go with your purse and say i can give you this amount of business it's really about also building relationships with those with that supply chain so it's not just about and mentality much, isn't it yeah yeah absolutely because like you say a pound is a pound whether you're sme developer or you're big giant house builder the house builder as you correctly say may be able to turn that pound into a 95p spend and you and you as the sme developer may be able to only turn it into a 98p spend but it's a mindset change right and just because you're small doesn't mean that you can't create strategic relationships this is already very good i feel like i'm i'm learning here Preston. (laughs) let's talk a little bit more and explore this a bit more right after the break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering, and we realized the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So... It's hard not to smile when you're in a conversation with Precious. She has got the biggest smile that I've seen in quite some time. Oh, Paul. <laughs> no, so this brilliant. Is, this is good. This is brilliant. I'm enjoying it. And I think we've already extracted quite a lot of value, which is which is awesome. One of the other things we wanted to talk about, and you you do seem to like the word strategic, Precious. That's what I have noticed. It's it's always strategic with you. Well, that's great. And uh, a strategic mindset almost. You wanted to also talk and explain what strategic alliances are. Let's talk about that. First, what is a strategic alliance? And then second, how are big companies using 
So again, um, I suppose in, in an alliance, I'll just use that term alliance without taking the word strategic, just a little bit. <laughs> alliance is where, <laughs> when you think of an alliance, you're thinking about one or two or three people maybe getting together. So you're thinking almost like a, what's the term? A, a joined up team, an alliance. Uh, terms like joint venture come into play and people have heard of that. But actually for me, strategic alliancing is around having an integrated team with a shared purpose. So it could be a commercial, it could have commercial goals, technical goals, etc. And it's normally found where you're aligned on a project goal or a commercial goal and mainly on really big, what my experience is mainly really big infrastructure projects. It really works. Kind of like a way. HS2. Like a, exactly, have, like a HS2. It's so, it, it's so big, you've got, a, it's almost like a joint yeah. venture, right, between some of the contractors. Correct. And with that in that sort of environment it makes sense to have breadth and depth of capability and one organization no matter how big or great you are sometimes it's quite difficult to you know to mobilize resource and have that capability in-house we already have shortages within the construction industry on skills don't start me on that so <laughs> when you think <laughs> when you're thinking of strategic a whole different uh, episode i mean that is a whole uh, we could talk about that one for days but when, you, when I'm thinking of strategic alliancing, definitely an integrated team, it's really also around behaviors. So when you're thinking about alliancing or actually creating that team, the people that are coming to that table really have to be showing a set of behaviors that are around trust, you know, working in a collaborative manner. Um, people use band that term collaboration, collaboration everywhere. But actually, it's a true test of collaboration when you're working in that strategic alliancing um, or integrated team space. And I keep mentioning common common goal because when it, when all is said and done in an alliance, still coming back, are we delivering purpose, and are we actually making money? You know, as our commercial goal being met, and you know, when I in, in my experience as well with strategic alliancing, leadership is really important because you remember you've got two or three organisations that if they stood by themselves in isolation, they're probably you know they're forced to be reckoned with. So actually, strong leadership leadership behaviors collaboration trust working for that common purpose i think that's the, that's the underpinning those are the underpinning uh, i suppose traits for what i'd call strategic alliancing i understand it again with regards to big construction companies big companies generally right to get into strategic alliance i know lots of smes do joint ventures which is different but again similar in terms of mentality with regards to strategic alliances what's the core benefit well one you're spreading risk so you that's the biggest for me that's the biggest thing if you're one organization taking a multi-billion pound project that risk would only be in your business so the spreading of risk definitely i think also the um building relationships when you are working with other organizations, you know, you, you, an alliance will force you to build a relationship because, like I keep saying, strategic alliances are built on behaviors. So you have to have trust to build a relationship with people. You have to have trust. And then I think as well is learning lessons. You know, you can when you're coming together as a, as a, as a group or as an alliance, you will learn practices or see practices in other organizations because as you go around that table, that leadership table that I talked about, normally called an exco, 
or yeah, the leadership team or executive committee or, or whatever, there'll be shared lessons between that those execs, you know, when they're talking about their business. And More also, brain power in the room as well. Exactly. And also, I think a term that is bandied around quite a lot is diversity, even of thought. Um, you have organizations that might be early in a journey in, in rail, but they have worked maybe in nuclear and they're coming to build that, to bring that insight into a big rail project. You know what I mean? Or you might have team members that have worked in other areas of of the industry that are bringing that insight into a project that does not. So and I think that, yeah, sorry. And I, I can see how your big business experience is really help it's shaped you in some way obviously i guess but i can see that in strategic sourcing so you're now working with smes right you're now advising sme developers how they can improve their business so strategic sourcing you take that big business mentality you can transfer it exactly to the sme world and benefit from it how then with strategic alliances if i'm one of your clients that you you have many that you're speaking to at the moment strategic alliance how are you selling that and the benefits of that to smes because i'm still trying to get my head around it Mm. i think it's also i mean a true strategic alliance somebody would probably say what benefit does it have to an sme because of the value of the project i mean they're mainly driven by size and extremity of you know the, the 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 task at hand right so in my mind, I think maybe it's shifting the term, you know. So JVs are used a lot, like you said, in developments. It's about having the breadth of capability and, and you know, and the muscle power in terms of capital. So if you say, for example, there were three of us around the table right now and we were, all of us were small, medium developers and there was land available and I didn't have the muscle to do it by myself and neither did you. But actually, if we were three of us, we created that cohort that you term it joint venture, but actually if we created the behaviors that underpin us working collaboratively in that space. We created that trust. You know, we created that management uh, platform. Portal. That strategic alliance. In essence, it is, you're alliancing. You're, you are yeah. actually alliancing. It's just it's a, it's a term that is used or it's a concept or it's a mechanism that is used within big infra or big um, capital demanding projects. But actually, those same behaviors, there's nothing stopping a number of developers or small medium developers actually getting together and actually underpinning what they're doing with alliancing behaviors. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm following you. I'm following you. That's I don't know cool. if that makes sense. No, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're so you're you're this fantastic PQS with a, a real breadth of experience across first different sectors, different sizes of companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You've worked on some major projects. When it comes to construction procurement, what is the single most important thing that you you advise SMEs when you come into their business? What are you saying to them? Right. So understand your scope. You know, scope comes specification. With procurement, I think it's also understand. So if you're procuring um, materials, for example, being very clear about, you know, what type of product specification. Are you mid-range, middle-range, high-range, you know, low, you know what I mean? Knowing where you... What is your brand? Correct. So understanding your brand, translating that into your specifications for your um, developments, 
and actually being able to map out who in the supply chain is actually supplying the materials or the type of materials that you'd want to buy. So that, again, I keep using the term informed. You get value when you're informed about what you're doing from the get-go because you stop redoing work. It's so interesting because we have talked a lot about positioning from a marketing perspective with different people throughout the life cycle of own the build and we talk about the benefit in mentality in terms of serving a niche by positioning yourself right but actually positioning your business particularly if you're a property developer right as knowing exactly the brand that you are the product that you deliver not only helps you from a sales perspective but it actually helps you strategically to then source and know how you're going to deliver projects and to start to build in those relationships so it's there's two benefits two massive benefits absolutely absolutely because whatever you're perceived as delivering whatever you're perceived but whatever the market the target market that you're 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 positioning yourself for is perceiving your brand to be associated with it absolutely transcends with within the way you operate with it as your business but then also if you're thinking projects the way you're procuring because you want your brand to be associated with a certain kind of look or a certain kind of you know material type or finish so that absolutely impacts then who you are going to target within that supply chain so it's, it's almost like flow through it flows through complete flow through that yeah. makes that makes yeah. perfect perfect sense to me now going back to the start of the show where you you basically said paul you're a contractor's qs and they're nowhere near as good as professional. Oh God, you're bringing you're bringing that up again. I'm never going to bring that up again. <laughs> I'm never going to let it go. But if, because obviously, I know less about the professional, the PQS side of things, having coming from the contractor side of things. So perhaps there are some questions that I could have asked that I haven't yet asked. So if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked that I haven't? I'd probably ask you: Was it difficult being a PQS when you finished your qualification, for example. So was it difficult being a PQS? I'd probably say yes, because we measure a hell of a lot. Excuse my French uh, audience. I, I hate but... measuring, to be honest with you. I can't do it. <laughs> well, I, honestly, I'm rubbish at it. Well, PQS, you have no choice. That is what we did. When I, I, and I used to call, I used to call it the, somebody said to me, it's the trenches. Literally it is. I hated it with a passion. I don't like it, but it was a rite of passage. Like every PQS that you meet, if you're going to do, because you're starting, like I said, from concept, you're doing the feasibility estimate right through to detailed cost plan. You have to know how to measure. So coming out of university, we've probably done, you know, done construction management or construction technology, whatever it is. It's nothing like what it is in the real world. It was, okay, what is this? You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that for me, um, yes and no. What it was, did, was I ready when I first started working? Yes, I was ready because I graduated. I had the paper to my name. But was I actually ready to do the measuring and everything we else? Prepared. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Learning curve, rite of passage. I call it complete rite of passage, which contractors QSs, you have it easy, as far as I'm concerned. Here we go. Here we go. This yeah. is what I mean. This is, <laughs> you, you have it last easy. Week, last week, last week you know, I'm starting to wonder whether it's just me, actually, because last week's show talked to another QS and we were talking about architects and QSs and, you know, the, the friction in that relationship. And um, 
I was making jokes saying that there was there was this friction there. I've just made the same about PQSs and contracts because the one running theme in all of this is, is it's me, isn't it? So maybe it's all maybe it's all my problem. I think, Paul, you're the you're the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, you're, you're probably not wrong. You're probably not wrong. And um, I have one last question for you that I ask at times: If you could choose to have worked on any project in the world, precious, which one would you pick? Oh my goodness! Oh, we finally stumped her. Do you know what? <laughs> the Palm, actually oh, really? in Dubai. I'd have loved to work at the... because it was re. It was it was it was rehabilitation. It was like you know what I mean. How do you create an island for goodness sake, and then you develop on it? So for me, the Palm, absolutely. I'd have loved to have worked on that. That would be a cool project to work ah, on. That'd be the right palm. up there, wouldn't it? And the weather would be great up until. Summer, summertime but yeah another farm amazing well look it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show precious there's some really valuable information that you've shared with us and i'm sure there are some developers listening thinking strategy about procurement and sourcing is something that they're going to do i am going to be sharing uh, precious details in the podcast description she has been an absolute star on the show so thank you so much for coming on precious Oh, Paul, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. No, was, the pleasure was all mine. And for everyone listening, I know I sound like a bit of a broken record here, but if you are enjoying the show and you would like to give us a rating, please do, because it really helps us to uh, spread the word. And I will see you or I will speak to you all next week. Thanks and uh, see you later. Bye.